Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of ISPM Talks. I am your host, Marcela Hoffman-Morão. Today, the conversation is with Helmin Rambaldo, my colleague here at the International Sport Management Program of the Hague University of Applied Sciences. The story of this interview actually began as only an exercise that I did for the second-year students. Their assignment in Research 3 was to conduct a qualitative interview podcast containing research question, literature, and interview, and conclusion. So I decided to do the assignment myself and invited Helming for the chat. Then I produced a small podcast for the students to have a better idea of the assessment. However, my conversation with Helmin was so rich that I decided to produce this, let's call it, editor's cut, which is much longer than the one I provided to the students. The topic of this podcast is from the field to fieldwork, a retired athlete's entrance and impact in academia. The central question was, why does a professional athlete choose a career as a university teacher and researcher after retiring? For these ISPM talks, naturally, I won't go over all the literature, conclusion, etc. The purpose now is for all of you to get to know Helmin and her journey to get to ISPM. So a little bit of background. If you do not know yet, Helmin Rambaldo is a former Dutch international cricketer and has played over 120 international matches from 1998 to 2017. She served as the Dutch national team's captain in matches from 2007 to 2011. Due to an injury in 2011, Helmin transitioned into coaching and continues so to this day, although she did have a comeback as a player in 2017. But in 2003, Helmin moved to South Africa to study sports science at Western Cape's Stellenbosch University. During her studies, she remained playing for the Netherlands in addition to joining the university's cricket team, having herself setting up the university women's team. And moreover, she also played for the province of Boland in the South African provisional setup. But actually, let's hear it from Helmin about her experiences. We were talking just before we started recording about your life and your career as a cricket player and the awesome things that you did. So I want to go back to the very beginning. How was your start in cricket? Um, yeah, I'm basically born. Uh, they often say I was born with a cricket bat in my hand. But um, my father was a uh, was a cricket player. And um, I have an older brother and an older sister. They're 10 and 11 years older. So basically, since I could walk, um, they took me with to their cricket matches. And I was just sitting there as their team mascot and um, yeah, spending days because cricket, uh, yeah, often takes a day, spending days at the cricket field. And I started playing, I think at the club from around the age of six. Um, and I haven't stopped, uh, I haven't stopped since. <laughs> wow, okay. So it wasn't a matter of choosing which sport to do, it was cricket, it was just a natural instinct for you too. Yeah, it was. I was always at the club, and our, our our club is a football and a cricket club. And at that stage, uh, girls couldn't play football at the club yet. So I also played field hockey. And um, as I said, I have an older brother and older sister, so I I, I tended to follow what they were doing. And my older sister was playing uh, field hockey, so I played field hockey in the winter and cricket in the summer. And at that, um, in my youth, it was still possible to combine both of them on uh, quite a high level. 
Um, so the seasons were overlapping only, I think, for one weekend in May and one weekend in August. But it was possible to actually take part in both sports at a, at a higher level. So that's, um, yeah, that's what I did my entire youth up until I finished uh, high school. And then I went and I knew, well, so I played both of the sports, but cricket always had my, uh, had my heart a bit, uh, a bit more than field hockey. Because what I liked, and this is in hindsight, at the moment I didn't really know it, but cricket is also a bit of an individual sport within a team sport. So at times you're really by really by yourself, but at, uh, at other times it's uh, it's the it's the team and this tactical kind of individual part and responsibility that you have as an individual within this team is something that I really really enjoyed. So when I was 18 and I finished high school. I decided to go to Australia for a year because cricket in the Netherlands isn't big at all. And I felt like if I really wanted to become a better cricket player, I should I should go somewhere where cricket is, uh, yeah, not necessarily number one sport, but a bigger sport than it is in the Netherlands. So I went to Australia for a year and my, my mom always said, very nice that you play cricket and you can you can go abroad and I don't mind, but you either work or you study. So you don't just go there and uh, play cricket, but you do something next to it. And um, well, I didn't want to I didn't want to work at that age, so I decided to do an English language school. So I did English language school for a year and played cricket. Um, and then after that year, I returned home. And then I just thought, <laughs> I want to go again. I want to go. I want to go. I want to see the world, but I want to go where there, where where cricket is part of the culture. And I felt so at ease in Australia because, for the first time in my life, people kind of recognized the sport that I played. In the Netherlands, it was always, you play cricket. Um, is that that sport that you hit the ball through? Kind of these, what is it? These, um, yeah little things <laughs> yeah these little things yeah is it where you hit it wait no that's croquet oh, oh. is it uh, the sport on the horses no 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 that's polo is it oh it's the sport where you sit around and drink tea all day so <laughs> you know that kind of always growing up and hearing that and then suddenly being in an environment where they only ask questions related to the game are you a batsman are you a bowler uh, you know what is your high score and uh, what grounds do you like to play at and I was I mean, I loved it. it. It kind of felt like I was in a crowd that <laughs> that was like me. So oh. when I returned, I uh, yeah, I I was itching the whole time to just to go abroad again and to learn more about the game, um, to grow as a cricketer, but also just to to be in a culture where cricket is kind of recognized. Mm-hmm. So I ended up. Um, choosing South Africa I actually wanted to go back to Australia but at that time it was I mean still hearing my mother say you either work or you study I thought I could combine it with studying but studying as an international student in Australia for a full bachelor was really expensive and so I looked at my other options and then South Africa was um, was an option and uh, I ended up going there in um, I think 2003 and I studied uh, again my mother saying you can either study or work and I didn't want to work so I studied studied a bachelor in sports science and business management but most importantly played cricket yeah (laughs) Um, so within this time in Australia and in South Africa 
were you coming back to the how how was your presence within the Dutch cricket? Uh, were you already playing in the teams? Yeah, so the first um, uh, the first time when I moved to Australia, I was only 18. I think I'd played two or three matches within the national setup, but I didn't really, I mean, I was kind of just getting an experience. So I didn't really contribute. Um, and I know that in Australia, so I played cricket and we were in the Netherlands, we were preparing for a World Cup. So in 2000, there was a World Cup in New Zealand. And um, my timing was also to, because I wanted to be in that World Cup squad, but I knew that I had to kind of still improve because I wasn't really, um, you know, the, the first one to put on the, put on the team sheet uh, when it comes to the team. So I thought if I go to Australia, I can also actually uh, better my chances of becoming part of the World Cup. So I, I played and I trained and I didn't return halfway, but I returned just before... Um, the season started within the Netherlands, and this was really was a conscious a conscious choice because what happened was um, during my studies at the English language school, we also had an opportunity to do an internship, and um, it was 1999, and we were in Australia. So 1999 and 2000 in Australia, I loved sport, and they asked me where would you like to do your internship. Well, there was only one place. I said at the Olympic Games, because in 2000, the Olympics were in Sydney. And they said, yeah, mm -hmm, sure, you know, you, you try. It's a two-month internship. Uh, you're gonna... But I said, okay, I'll try. And I, I'd like to get a position at field hockey. Well, we tried at field hockey. I didn't get it, but I got in and I got an internship at the archery department mm. at the Olympic Games. So I enjoyed my internship. And then I was, I was going to go home in June. And at the end of my internship, they said, would you like to stay up until the end of the Olympics? That's now, the Olympics were, I think, August, September. Yeah. And the World Cup was December 2000. But the whole summer was in the Netherlands and in England to have preparation games. So I ended up choosing for cricket, which, which I mean, which is a big, I mean, big decision staying at the Olympics or, um, um, or choosing for your cricket, which in the end, I wasn't guaranteed a spot in that squad. So I ended up choosing that. I went home, I played the summer, had a really good summer. And then I got selected for the World Cup, which in the end is the last World Cup that we ever took part in as a oh, Dutch okay. team. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, and then when I lived in South Africa, so from 2003 to... So January 2003 to uh, December 2006, I um, played yeah, within South Africa in the provincial setup. So I played over 30 matches per season. And just to give you a rough idea, in the Netherlands, we play about 12 or 13 matches. So I played a lot of cricket. Yeah. Um, and I returned in, um, in South African winter, so in Dutch summer, because it's uh, different hemispheres. And I played some cricket within the Netherlands. Um, and if there happened to be tournaments, then I joined. But I didn't, uh, they didn't fly me back for specific tournaments or whatsoever. So I fully focused on my cricket within South Africa. And if I was back in the Netherlands and there happened to be tournaments, then I joined. And I always kept my coaches updated um, in the Netherlands about my progress. So um, I was still involved in the setup. But I did not participate in every single tournament that was 
going on within the time that I lived in South Africa. So how was that experience being a professional athlete? Did you consider yourself a professional athlete? Before I moved abroad, I, I, I never. Um, when I moved to South Africa and when I played in that setup, I did. And I think it is more to do with the time that I invested and the way that I approached the sport than with the financial side of it. So I, in South Africa, I really got introduced to to the game, but also to my own game and kind of training more around what was what was useful for me. So again, as I stated before, cricket has kind of an individual side within the team sport. So a lot of things you train together as a team, but really within your own specialist specialism, you 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 train that yourself. And it's a very technical part that you can actually train by yourself as well. So I used to really in the mornings before I before I would go to university I would train and I mean the weather is great in South Africa so it was it was always possible so I get up really early go to the nets and then um, together with someone else who also studied at university and played for the provincial team we used to train then we'd go home then we'd go to university then in the evenings we would either train at our club or we would um, drive all the way to um, to the provincial um, training facilities. And I think that approach and also every other decision that I made was always around cricket, um, really made me feel like a, a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, enjo- I, I enjoyed it. I also love the, the lifestyle around it. I mean, as I stated, the weather in South Africa really is cr- cricket friendly. So... Um, I could walk. I could walk around in my uh, in my training gear, going to university. I um, you know, I could train whenever I wanted. The facilities would be great compared to uh, what what I was used to. Um, and you could kind of train every moment of every single day. Yeah, that's that sounds lovely, uh, especially compared to rainy Netherlands and cold Europe. So. Definitely a great experience. And I think that's why you mentioned before we started recording that uh, you really became a a great cricket player because of your time in South Africa. I really think I learned. I I mean, as as I said to you at the beginning, I've been playing since I was six years old, but I think I only learned the game when I, and a bit in in Australia, but I spent um, four years in South Africa. So I really think I, I learned how to play cricket there. And I think most importantly, I learned to know my own game and also what I needed for myself to train and to get better. And not only in one kind of team standardized, this is what everyone does, so everyone gets better. Yeah. And what were during this this time, either playing in South Africa, the university or the provincial, but also for the Dutch team, what were your highlights and also what were your lowlights during that period? I think what I said before, just the amount of cricket that I that I played um, in the in these beautiful surroundings, and now in, I think in hindsight I might have other highlights than when I was there at the moment. So when I was there at the moment, it was very much oriented around uh, performance. So if I do well, if I score, yeah, in cricket it's you know if you score 50, if you score 100 then you then you've done really well so if you would ask me in the moment it would be it would be that so basically um scoring or getting the results individually so that the teams win that the team wins and doing really well if i now look in hindsight 
it's more the the facilities where I were, the way that I approached my training and combining it with my studies. And um, I also think the network that I uh, that I built. And the final thing is that um, moving abroad for me really changed the way I was. As I said before, growing up in the Netherlands, being kind of a cricket fanatic is, yeah, it's a bit, you're a bit of an outsider. And I, I never, it never bothered me. But I think I just grew a lot in my confidence by being abroad, by people recognizing my performances, um, which for me as a youngster really, really did me well, that I kind of felt like part of the community. Um, uh, for the Netherlands, my biggest achievement is in 2011, we won the European Championships, which for the Netherlands is... Yeah, it's kind of unbelievable. Um, it really made it special on two other fronts. One, that we didn't have a, a coach at that time. So I was uh, captain and coaching at the same time. And two is that I scored 100 um, in that tournament. And scoring 100 in cricket is really a, a, a big achievement. Mm -hmm. um, so I personally had a really good tournament while actually also trying to coach and manage the team and we also um, won the european champions championships and i got the most valuable player um, of the tournament mm -hmm. that one, um, as well and yeah i think those are my uh, biggest performances from a personal perspective i kept them aside from 2007 to 211 so for five years and um, when you play tournaments abroad, the attention that we get is different. And being a captain uh, means that you're always in the spotlight for the opening ceremonies, for the interviews with the media. So I got a lot of opportunities like that while I am, I well, it's not my strongest suit to be in front of a camera um, spontaneously um, or to be in front of a big crowd. So that's something that I'm really proud of and what I've learned a lot to, um, to, yeah, to communicate to the press. To, um, I, I mean, I remember we had one opening ceremony where I had to walk on a catwalk um, and there was someone waving the flag, <laughs> the Dutch flag in front of me. And I was walking on this catwalk and I didn't know how to, I was waving or should I vote? I mean, the queen uh, wave. Yeah, I was doing like this. And then I almost bumped into the guy waving the flag in front of me because he was turning around and I didn't know where to go. <laughs> and uh, my teammates had a good laugh at me. But um, yeah, those kind of moments. And as I stated, in hindsight, you value those more. Uh, mm -hmm. In the moment, I was only busy with performing and kind of living next match to the next match or tournament to the next tournament. Um, but in hindsight, I mean, I've been so fortunate and lucky. I've played tournaments in Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, uh, New Zealand, for the World Cup, uh, South Africa, um, so many countries that you can yeah. travel with to um, travel to with your team. Yeah. Did you did you also play in Pakistan? Because I think I yes, read something. Sorry, yeah. And when that. was that? When was this? That? Was in two thousand and two, and this is for me. It was it was a yeah. I'm not sure if it, it was an 
an uh, amazing tour on many levels. On a personal level, it's the kind of only big tour that I played with my sister on the same team. Mm. And my brother at that stage was the manager. So okay. it, it, it was the, yeah, it was one of the tours that we, we joined together. And as I stated at the beginning, my brother and my sister are, are, are older than me. So I've always looked up to them. So kind of to be in an environment with them um, was really nice. The second thing that for me, Pakistan was the, was the first time that I traveled um, abroad that far into a country where cricket is very, very big, but women's cricket at that time was not really something that was, yeah, kind of mm. okay. So there was this political tension around it as well. Um, who could come into the stadium to actually watch our games? Um, the first time that we that I experienced um, going to the game with police escort around you, and mm -hmm. later on that kind of became became normal because um, every in every tournament um, where cricket is a in countries where cricket is a big sport, you you now have that with police escort uh, from hotel to um, to stadium. So that was really um, interesting, and we played. Um, in big stadiums um, and I remember we played a day night match and in because cricket well can last uh, around six hours they also at times play day night so it's to get more spectators maybe after work um, but it means that they light the entire stadium so you play the first part of the match kind of still when it's light and the second part of the match under the big lights mm -hmm. but we were we were we were fielding, so we're in the field and the, the electricity shut off. So the light went off. Oof. So it was, we were in Karachi, in Karachi Stadium pl playing. And I remember I was, I was fielding somewhere and suddenly we, you, you hear the noise go, <laughs> and it was pitch dark. And I still remember hearing my teammates go, hello, anyone? And I was at one stage, should we, should we get to the ground and crawl back home? <laughs> Not back home, but back to the, yeah. uh, um, to the dressing room. And then it took a while again for the lights to get, uh, to get started. But apparently there was so much electricity going to that stadium just for us to play the day-night match that um, the electricity couldn't, uh, couldn't manage that. Yeah. So yeah, Pakistan was, um, uh, and now it's really interesting to see because they are in the Pakistan are now in the top ten, and uh, there's still a way to go for women's cricket within Pakistan. But compared to where they were in 2002, a lot has changed um, in their setup. Okay, so now you have these experiences and you you're finishing your studies in South Africa. Were you satisfied being a player? Were you satisfied with your work as coaching? Or were you already envisioning a next stage uh, in your life? I don't think I was envisioning a next step in life. I, um, when, I, when, I was um, when I finished my studies in South Africa, I was kind of at the turning point. Do I either stay here and, and start, start my um, my career or do I do I go home so I ended up deciding going home one of the reasons was because I didn't really felt 100% safe um, in South Africa and for me that was actually such a core value um, to feel safe that um, that I didn't but it also meant that I had to leave 
my cricket and the level of cricket that I was playing behind. And um, I was okay with that decision also because I felt like it's an opportunity for me to come back to the Netherlands and kind of show everyone what I've learned and to take the team uh, with me into a next into a next step. So I can grow the women's game in the Netherlands by kind of transferring what I've learned to the to the Dutch game. So my focus was mainly around cricket. I'm going to go back home and um, I'm going to focus on, on playing there. Um, so that that is what I did. And I didn't really think about my career off my, my career. I just thought, um, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to play play cricket and I'll see when I get home what the next step is. Mm-hmm. And I actually returned home and um, I ended up doing a master's in, in human movement science at the uh, VU in Amsterdam. Because again, my mom kept saying the same story. Yeah, nice that cricket, but you either study or you work. So I thought, oh, I'll study. <laughs> I like studying. So, uh, you know, I like, um, I really like, yeah, I just enjoy studying. So it was another opportunity to um <laughs> so I did my master's at the at the VU in Amsterdam in human movement science and I could combine it with still playing cricket I became the captain of the national team so that took quite some time um, to also organize everything around the team um, now actually it's the first time that the KNCB which is the Dutch cricket board they've hired a full-time women's national coach so um, he is starting on the 1st of March. So it's the first time ever that they've hired a full-time uh, women's coach. So before it, it was always, we always had coaches that had another job and, and did the coaching on the side. So a lot came, um, came to, uh, to the players. And it's also kind of my nature. If I, am, if I feel respons- responsible for something, I, I go for it uh, full 100%. So, yeah. Um, so I did that and I and I studied and I think we grew a lot as a team from 27 to 211. However, so did uh, the rest of the world. So suddenly w- women's cricket became more more interesting for other teams. So um, like I said, Pakistan really grew, but also Bangladesh. Uh, they didn't have a women's team before, but I think the end um, it, from 2008 onwards, there were a lot of teams um, that were already doing well with men's cricket that also saw the potential in women's cricket. So we grew as a, as a Dutch team, but the rest just kind of grew past us. Mm. So in a way, this was really difficult for me because I felt that I was working with a team um, and really putting in everything that I, that I had and we were growing, but we didn't have the results on the field because everyone else like kind of grew past us because they, of course, full-time played cricket. Uh, you know, for two years full-time playing cricket and with us doing everything outside of either university or uh, or a job, yeah, we, we couldn't compete. And I really struggled with that because I thought that we did so well. And especially in 2011, my final year, we had a tournament in Bangladesh, in Dhaka, and um, we couldn't get to the positions that we needed to, but for me, it was the best team that I've ever played at. We had no injuries for three for a three-week tournament. Everyone played according to their to their role and their strength, and the preparation for us was was great. But we didn't get that result, and I 
yeah, I I struggled to deal with that. And I also struggled to accept and kind of, you know, let that go. Um, because I felt we did really well, but we didn't get the results. Yeah. And, um, because everyone else was, yeah, you know, full-time playing cricket. And then in 2011, I handed over the captaincy and it was always my my aim to not retire and stopping the captaincy at the same time Mm -hmm. because I felt like I want to be a mentor for the new captain or if she doesn't want a mentor then that's fine then I can still play but at least that if she would you know if she would want that I'll still be around because I found that very difficult uh, when I took over the captaincy that the old captain um, wasn't around anymore just to you know just to ask questions or to uh, to learn um, so I did that and I still played and um, then one day I got an, uh, a back injury and that uh, knocked me down fully and I think that made me um, yeah reevaluate my cricket career and uh, possibilities but also looking a bit ahead into other things that I could do around cricket and I've always been coaching I've always been since I was well I said I started playing since I was six I think from when I was probably 15 16 I helped around with the trainings for the little kids and I've always been involved in coaching or indirectly been coaching my own teams and um, yeah so when I got injured I started to look more into uh, into that option and I've been coaching the national, being assistant coach for the national ladies team in 16, 17 and 18. And then I've taken the under 15s and under 17 national girls team for 218, 219 and 220. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because if, if this is in any other country and in any other sport, you think that, okay, this player is not a player anymore. She went on a career as a coach and maybe she'll become a manager of the, of the team, etc. But perhaps because it's the Netherlands or perhaps because that's you, you also did something else. So you have two careers now. So what happens at what moment you figure out that, okay, this is not enough. I have to find something else. And then you come into this world of academia. How was that transition? What was the, the decision? Of course, you have a master's degree. You have the experience. Um, you like to study, as you mentioned. So you like to do research. So how did that happen? My dad passed away when I was 13. So in my teenage years and afterwards, it's mainly been my mom that's been um, been guiding me through my life. So it's always said, you know, cricket end. Mm-hmm. Cricket end. Um, and realistically, as you said, in the Netherlands, um, a career in cricket is, I mean, it it is possible, but um, yeah, there's there's very very few, and especially if you're in the in the women's game, um, it's even it's it's even smaller. And it was never my intention to end up in academia. I didn't study to to become an academic. I studied because I liked studying, and I I mean I I studied economics and I studied sports science and business management and I studied human movement science. So I just studied everything that I enjoy, which is numbers, 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 <laughs> and, um, and movement and sport. 
Um, and then I returned to the Netherlands, and this was also interesting. So after I studied again in the Netherlands, I was highly qualified. Um, I had, according to Dutch standard, no work experience. And my professional career as an athlete wasn't really recognized on my CV. So I, I struggled to, to find a job. So I simply... I very, very simplistically just started applying to everything in the field of human movement science and everything in the field of sport. So I didn't consciously make a decision, okay, this is what I want to do. And then one day I, I ran into a vacancy about a new program um, in Amsterdam, um, International Sport Management and Business, and that one of the things that they wanted to do is to expose the students to a variety of sports that might not be very popular in the Netherlands, but that are worldwide. So they were looking for someone with, a, with knowledge and experience in cricket. Mm. And they also asked someone with a master's degree. <laughs> so to be honest, I think... <laughs> Made for. <laughs> it wasn't my, my, my photo there, but... Yeah. Um, and I applied, and I, I applied for, for more than that, that position. And um, I was very lucky to get, the, to get the position to just teach the sport. So I taught um, cricket, rugby, football, and basketball. Um, and, I, and this was also in, uh, in 2011. So I, st I had the big tournament build-up towards uh, Bangladesh, Dhaka. So for me, it was quite nice to... Um, to combine and um, I realized there that I, li I like teaching and I think in hindsight I mean I've always done coaching and you know it's a very similar similar profession and um, I grew I grew with the new program I really grew as a as a person in in teaching I got my teaching diplomas um, while I was there and um, yeah the second one that you said is, how, how did I get into research? Um, when I did my master's in human movement science, I really enjoyed setting up a research project. And for our master's, we had to conduct uh, our own. And I focused on anticipation skills um, in cricket. But I really enjoyed that process again, because it's learning something new. It's kind of like studying, you know, getting um, um, diving into a topic and figuring things out. And that, that is what I, um, that, that is what I do in my, in my general life and also what I really enjoyed. So I ended up at my work there also teaching other subjects outside of um, cricket. Um, and I think indirectly, because I've been busy with it my entire life already, personal development, um, but also research in, uh, in studying and setting up small research projects. And, um, and I really, I really like it. I think I'm also, I mean, now in hindsight, I think, why would I never thought, thought about this. going into, yeah. you know, becoming a lecturer? But yeah. again, in hindsight, life is very easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a lot, you have a lot more information than what yeah. you had, when, than what you had before. So it's interesting. I was never an athlete, but I feel of a similar path in that sense. I went to a master's degree because I wanted to work in the industry, a sport industry, and then I decided to go for a PhD, but I never at those moments thought that I would teach. 
the teaching came as part of the job as a PhD student. You have to teach. It's just, if you want to study with us, you have to teach. And then I said, oh, I actually like doing that. And But it never was never a thought. But I, when I was doing a little bit of research into preparing for this interview to see what's out there, because my curiosity is to know why isn't there a lot of information on uh, athletes that retire and go into academia? But one of the things that I found interesting that I could recognize to myself, and I wonder if you recognize, it's uh, regarding student athletes in the United States. So they have the scholarship and there's something called the imposter syndrome that a lot of the times as, as they are stu studying, they feel like they don't belong because they're only there because they're good in, in athletics. And I remember the beginning of my life teaching, I felt like I'm a journalist. I'm not really, I don't have a preparation for teaching. I felt this imposter when entering this academia world. I'm curious if you ever felt this way or if because your experience perhaps with coaching, you had a more, uh, yeah, more prepared to deal with that. Um, I don't necessarily think that I didn't feel like, do I belong here? But uh, what I struggle with the most is how to translate my experience into something useful for the curriculum for the students and, and wondering, you know, kind of making that selection, what is acceptable to teach and, 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 and what not. So that's the part that I, um, yeah, that, that I struggled with. And I think in general, as a beginner in my first academic, in my first job in academia, uh, I did feel overwhelmed by, um, yeah, by the demands of the teaching job. And, and, and I straight away had to design curriculum because it was a new program. So um, it was quite a lot at start. And I was often wondering if I was doing the right thing. But I think I've, I felt okay with being in that position, but I wasn't always sure about what I was doing. But I think I would have had that with any kind of job in, that I would have done, yeah, in the, in the beginning. Yeah, and also being a captain, you have that leading position. So that was in your nature. So probably that helped. I never had that. So whew, the first time teaching, I was like, oh, students, please bear with me. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was terrified. I really didn't think I... I fit there, but yeah, I, I no, and, and it's finding your own way because I yeah. don't, and this is what I said earlier with press conference. I don't like being in the spotlight. I don't like being in front of a big crowd. And I mean, if you look at it with teaching, you're actually in the spotlight the whole time and in mm -hmm. front of a crowd. So I struggled with that at the beginning, but I really love the, the, the content part of it. So how do I, bring my message across? Yeah. How do I get my students to, to grow with me uh, on this specific topic? Yeah, no, absolutely. As I mentioned to you, doing this preparation, I don't see a lot of material out there. So either people are not asking the question of how is the tra transition of life as an athlete into academia, or there isn't a lot. So what do you think there is? Because I, I was thinking you, now we have Denise on the team, we have Hans, as a former athlete, but it seems to me that the story is the same. It wasn't that academia was never a plan, it just happened, right? Do you think that's the case or do you know others that went into academia? It's just not a research question that's being asked. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think having the advantage of maybe your sport not being so big is that you, you also choose to kind of study. So to get a master's degree or to um, and, and, and this is interesting because I'm, I remember being at the press conference 
in Dhaka, Bangladesh in 2011. And everyone, so I've got all the captains sitting next to me and they all got questions about cricket. And the first question that I get as the Dutch, as the Dutch uh, captain is, you have a very highly educated team. Can you explain that? That's interesting, yeah. So everyone's question was about, about cricket and your expectations for the tournament. And my first question that I got was about the education level of my team members, because we had someone in a studying medicine, someone becoming a pilot, well, uh, like everyone kind of studying. Mm-hmm. The second question you ask is why, why they're not in academia. I, I think is because most, most of them will be kind of involved with the, with their sports still. Yeah. Yeah. And the second question I think is, is it, are you, st- or has the studying been just to play the sport or has the studying actually been for the, for you to also develop yourself in that specific content area? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's been the case because I, I, you know, economics and sports science and business management and human movement science. I didn't just do that because I wanted to play cricket. Mm-hmm. I also liked that field. So, yeah. so, so I did both at the same time. But if I would have just gone to South Africa for my scholarship and studied anything just to get a, yeah, then it, then it might have been different. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's something that maybe would be interesting to have more athletes because a lot of athletes have degrees. And, but like you said, they can continue because the industry is so big. They can continue working within their sport or they become commentators etc but it would be interesting if academia could attract some of these people would be very beneficial to the students i imagine to have more of that instead of just and i think if we talk about sport academia i mean the field of sport management is 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 new still Mm -hmm. relatively new so um, um you know that might still grow yeah in the upcoming years and just now you mentioned your you got your scholarship I think that's interesting to bring that information to the students as well. Talk about that scholarship in South Africa. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah, so the the reason why I, I went to South Africa is because um, returning from Australia, I wanted to still, uh, you know, play cricket and, and, and see a bit more of the world. So um, I found I found the option of studying in, in Stellenbosch. So I, I enrolled for studying in Stellenbosch and then I looked within my current network to find a, a, a cricket club where I could play. So they, so via my network, I found a cricket club to play. So I arrived, I think in January, February, 2003, and I joined a cricket club in South Africa and I joined the um, um, Stellenbosch University to study. And then in, in one of my first months that I was there, um, there was a meeting held with all all the um, women's clubs in the region where I uh, where I studied, and they were talking about growing the women's growing the women's game. And one of the things to grow the women's game at that moment of time in South Africa was to get more clubs to uh, offer women's cricket. So they pinpointed a few potential clubs that could actually. Um, grow grow the women's game and one of them was Matis and Matis is the nickname for the University of Stellenbosch so they said that Matis sport would be um would be an opportunity for to grow the game by actually having a women's team because Matis sport already had a men's team uh, there they had the facilities so they had uh, the cricket grounds they had the cricket nets they had the clubhouse they had the whole administrative side 
from the university there. So the only thing that still needed to be done was basically to get a coach and to get um, the amount of players that are needed to run a season. And since I was studying at that moment at Stellenbosch University, I said that I would take on that, uh, I would take on that job and I would really enjoy it. So what I did is I went to the university administrative side of sport and we spoke about it and they were very keen to set this up with me. And um, as long as I then made sure that I got enough players and that um, um, it, kind of the, the, the cricket side of it, the technical side. So I did all of that and I got players um, from, well, at the beginning it was my classmates because we were studying sports science. So um, there were a lot of girls that were interested in, in playing sports in general. So at the, in the first years I got most of my friends to play. And then later on during the time that was, I was there, there were, um, there were other players as well who joined. And um, the advantage of that was that indirectly I had created my own scholarship um, because when you play at the universities, uh, when you play sport for the university team and you play uh, international sport, or regional sport, or at a other qualified high level, then um, you can get either full scholarship, a half a scholarship or partly scholarship and since I was an international and was playing international matches, I indir indirectly created my own uh, my own scholarship. And for the upcoming three years that I studied, I actually studied on a cricket scholarship at Stellenbosch. And I run the women's team and I coached and played. And um, what's really, really nice is that because of that scholarship opportunity, a lot more of the South African female or women's cricketers actually came to study to Stellenbosch and played there and we're actually still at the phase where Mati's women's cricket is still going on and this is a uh, yeah more than 15 years uh, yeah. later and it's still uh, and it's still going on yeah you can see your first uh, experiences not just as a player and not just as a coach but as a sport manager because now you're running a team and also dipping into academia by creating getting this scholarship going so you were doing everything i was I'm probably not even realizing that you were no. getting those uh, experiences yeah. as well and it's the helming legacy <laughs> yeah <laughs> one no, day they will remain the rename the the scholarship yeah <laughs> and i and i think that's um i've said several times now in this in this talk that we had in hindsight in hindsight in yeah. hindsight so a lot of things that you kind of do or get on board and in that moment it just feels right but you don't know what the impact of it is later in your life or the things that you learn by doing or you know the opportunities that it creates and hmm. I think sometimes I forget that also still in my current in my current job to also you know take on opportunities and just see where things end up because it might really be something that's helpful for you in your future. See, I told you Helmin's story was quite interesting. So for her, academia happened not intentionally, but it was always part of her condition agreed upon with her mom, uh, cricket and work or study. Since Helmin chose study instead of work, her CV was then highly educated, but without work experiences. But then when a teaching position was created that screened Helmin, uh, she was at the right place and at the right time to apply. 
And lucky for us, Helmin is an integral part of ISPM, not only teaching, but also coordinating different aspects of the program. Her organizational skills and big picture thinking makes me admire her a lot. Well, next episode is already in the works. I will be chatting with another great ISPM teacher. Straight from Austria, Robert Casper will share about his experiences teaching and also working with sports event, mega sports events. For now, take care, stay safe, cheers. Cheers.